for the battle is the Lord's. We're going to look this morning at perhaps the most well-known passage of Scripture in the entire Bible. Turn to 1 Samuel chapter 17, the story of David and Goliath. There are few people in our nation that have not heard the story of David and Goliath. It is the classic underdog story. It has been used again and again in sports team locker rooms to fire people up. The pet talk before the game when a little tiny school goes up against the largest school. David versus Goliath, you can do it. And it's usually sheer emotionalism. But there are also people to use it in various business applications or in even uh, training and parenting and marriage, and they look for all the tactical elements to the passage. Great author, very famous, named Malcolm Gladwell. Uh, He's written a book called Outliers that took uh, the world by storm, another called uh, Blink, another called Tipping Point. Uh, one that I love called What the Dog Saw, but he also wrote one called, you guessed it, David and Goliath. The premise of Malcolm Gladwell's David and Goliath was that underdog victories are not all that miraculous. They're actually a result of tactical creativity. He says that oftentimes what we consider our weaknesses, we can learn to reframe and they can become advantages. And what we see in Goliaths aligned against us and we see as their advantages, we can actually learn to use against them so that they become disadvantages. We need to find our strategic advantage, and that may actually be discovered in our weaknesses, what we consider our disadvantages. And our opponent, who's not expecting our novel approach, isn't ready for it. And we win the victory. So David wasn't able to use Saul's armor and sword because it was too big. And so he resorted to what he was skilled at. A slingshot and a stone. Goliath wasn't expecting that. It was a novel approach. It put Goliath on his heels. And Goliath, who thought he had all kinds of advantages, he was huge and strong and had all kinds of weighty armor that protected his whole body. Well, that was actually Goliath's disadvantage, not his advantage, because he was too slow and too heavy. And David was able to become creative and use the slingshot and use his nimbleness and his quickness. And he won the victory. Whoo! You can do it too. 
Now, there may be some principles in Gladwell's book that actually might be pragmatic to help you in your business. That as Bible interpretation, it's horrible. It's not even close to what the passage is about. The passage is about how David and Israel are weak and small and helpless. And unless God shows up, they are sunk. That's what this passage is about. It's not about discovering some tactical advantage. It's that we are helpless and hopeless apart from grace. How like even the American church that we're so quick to devour stuff on tactics and creativity and using our resources to gain the winning edge instead of looking to God alone. You know the scene. The arch enemy of Israel, the Philistines, are on one mountain. The Old Testament church, Israel, is on another mountain with a valley in between. Now, this circumstance is about 1,000 B.C. The battlefield was only about 12 miles from Bethlehem where David grew up. Now, instead of just hand-to-hand combat with the entire army, people became a little bit more wise in their warfare because so much was dependent on who won as it related to who was going to serve the other. The conquered, the vanquished, would always serve the victorious. They would plow their fields. They would harvest their crops. I mean, warriors were laborers. You don't want to get them all killed. That's not going to help you. So what you do is you challenge each other to a duel. You send out a champion from your army who faces a champion of the other army. Only one person gets killed. All the rest become the victor's slaves. Makes so much sense. So much neater and cleaner. So this guy Goliath comes out, and he boasts that nobody from Israel can take him down. And Israel agrees. The situation looks hopeless. Enter David. And well, you know the rest of the story. But do you, do you really know the story and what it's about? Let's all stand out of reverence for God's Word. Follow along as I read 1 Samuel 17, 31 to 49. This is God's Word. When the words that David spoke were heard, they repeated them before Saul And he sent for him. And David said to Saul, Let no man's heart fail because of him, because of Goliath. Your servant will go and fight with this Philistine. 
And Saul said to David, you're not able to go against this Philistine to fight with him, for you are but a youth, and he has been a man of war from his youth. But David said to Saul, your servant used to keep sheep for his father. And when there came a lion or a bear and took a lamb from the flock, I went after him and struck him and delivered it out of his mouth. And if he arose against me, I caught him by his beard and struck him and killed him. Your servant has struck down both lions and bears, and this uncircumcised Philistine shall be like one of them, for he has defied the armies of the living God. And David said, The Lord who delivered me from the paw of the lion and from the paw of the bear will deliver me from the hand of this Philistine. And Saul said to David, Go. And the Lord be with you. Then Saul clothed David with his armor. He put a helmet of bronze on his head and clothed him with a coat of mail. And David strapped his sword over his armor. And he tried in vain to go, for he had not tested them. Then David said to Saul, I cannot go with these, for I have not tested them. So David put them off. Then he took his staff in his hand and chose five smooth stones from the brook and put them in his shepherd's pouch. His sling was in his hand, and he approached the Philistine. And the Philistine moved forward and came near to David with his shield-bearer in front of him. And when the Philistine looked and saw David, he disdained him, for he was but a youth, ruddy and handsome in appearance. And the Philistine said to David, "'Am I a dog that you come to me with sticks?' And the Philistine cursed David by his gods. The Philistine said to David, "'Come to me!' And I will give your flesh to the birds of the air and to the beasts of the field. Then David said to the Philistine, You come to me with a sword and with a spear and with a javelin, but I come to you in the name of the Lord of hosts, the God of the armies of Israel, whom you have defied. This day the Lord will deliver you into my hand, and I will strike you down and cut off your head. I will give the dead bodies of the host of the Philistines this day to the birds of the air and to the wild beasts of the earth that all the earth may know that there is a God in Israel and that all this assembly may know that the Lord saves, not with sword and spear, for the battle is the Lord's and he will give you into our hand. When the Philistine arose and came and drew near to meet David, David ran quickly toward the battle line to meet the Philistine. And David put his hand in his bag and took out a stone and slung it and struck the Philistine on his forehead. The stone sank into his forehead and he fell on his face to the ground. This is God's historically accurate, inspired, infallible, inerrant, and authoritative word. He gave it to us because he loves us. And he wants us to know that our help comes from the Lord. Let's pray. God, we ask that you would open our eyes now to behold wonderful things from your word, life-changing truths, that we would hear the gospel afresh. We'd be filled with hope. We ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Go ahead and have a seat. This story 
has no biblical purpose unless God remains the hero of the passage. This story isn't meant to give you a strategic advantage over the giants in your life. This story is meant to expose our helplessness and to draw us to the only one who saves, the Lord God. Now, before we dig in, I want you to think of a giant in your life. Giants can be from within, struggles, brokenness. Giants can come from without as evil in the world and the brokenness of the world attacks us. But, but I want you to think of just one giant that you're facing. As we go through 1 Samuel... The theme of the book is seeking after God's heart. This morning's theme is seeking after God's heart through faith. Three areas of faith that enable us to seek after God's heart and also enable us to see God fight for us against the giant and others like it that you're thinking about in your life right now. First of all, have faith in God's presence. Now, what's interesting is the first half of 1 Samuel 17 that I didn't even read is focused entirely on Goliath's presence. The first part of the chapter reveals to us that Goliath is nine feet, nine inches tall. Now, we have historical records of there being men who were over nine feet. Goliath is nine feet, nine inches tall. And he has an intimidating presence. As a matter of fact, several times throughout the passage, it's emphasized that Israel, using their eyes, looked upon and saw Goliath. They saw the giant. And using their natural faculties of sight, when they saw the giant, they were filled with fear. They were obsessed and consumed with the presence of Goliath. He was an imposing sight. Then the passage focuses on Goliath's armor. His armor was massive. It weighed a lot. His spear, the spearhead alone, weighed 15 pounds. That's like a shot put. And he would zing it through the air. This guy was strong. This guy was mean. This guy was tall. This guy was well furnished with weapons and armor. As a matter of fact, the text goes into such detail about his armor that we learn that there's hardly any of the guy's body that's even exposed to being attacked. There's a small little place in his face. <coughs> that doesn't have armor. The only thing bigger than Goliath's size, the only thing heavier than his armor, is the weight of his arrogance. 
he defies the armies of Israel. He says, I dare you to find anybody that can hang with me. You know, you can only boast like that when you're unaware of God's presence. And you can only fear like Israel feared when you're unaware of God's presence. The interesting part about the first half of this chapter is nobody is aware of God's presence. Goliath isn't, and that's why he boasts. Israel isn't, and that's why they're afraid. So as you look at your giant, what are you focusing on? Are you focused on the present presence of your giant? Or do you have eyes to see the presence of the Lord? In verse 16, we see that for 40 days this giant came out every morning and every night and taunted Israel. Do you feel like the giant in your life is taunting you today? I mean, do you feel like it's just mocking you? You don't have what it takes. You can't deal with me. See, the more we focus on the presence of our giant, the bigger they become. I think I told you before, I woke up one night and I heard this scratching sound. And in seven seconds, in my imagination, I was homeless. I heard this scratching and I thought, I think there might be some squirrels in our wall. And then I thought, oh no. If there are squirrels in our wall, they could be eating our wiring. And then I said, oh no. If they're eating our wiring, I'm going to have to get this place rewired. And then I thought, oh no. They don't have insurance for having to take care of rewiring. And then I thought, oh no. We're going to be homeless. In seven seconds, I went from a scratch to being homeless. You see, that's what happens when we focus on our giants and forget the presence of the Lord. Now, it ended up being a roach in a bag. (laughs) What can I say? But the point is, we can be so consumed with the presence of the giants in our lives that we lose focus on, our, on the presence of the Lord. In verses 24 and 25, it says, The men of Israel, when they saw the man, fled and were much afraid. The text emphasizes what they were looking at, what they were focusing on. Verse 25, the men of Israel said, Have you seen this man? Have you seen this guy? You know, and you can almost hear that in our voices when we tell to, talk to other people about our giants. Do you understand what I'm talking about? Do you see how serious this is? Do you see how large this problem is? And we're not saying the problem's not large. What the text is asking us is, where's God in it? Where's God in your life as you face the giant? Nobody is using anything but their natural faculties in this text until David comes on the scene and says, who is this Philistine? 
who is defying the armies of the living God. David calls us to have faith in God's presence. David knew what it was like to live in the midst of God's presence, of being aware of God's presence. He was a shepherd. He'd be out there with the sheep. There'd be lions and bears. And because David was having faith in God's presence, he took after the lion and the bear. See, this text is not about if you try really hard, folks, you can be like David. If you try really hard, you can be courageous like David. You can use your skills. You can outsmart your enemy. And you, as an underdog, can win the victory. That is not what it's saying. David, again and again and again, said, The Lord delivered me. The Lord delivered me. The Lord delivered me. The Lord delivered me. David's hope and faith was in the presence of God. Secondly, not only have faith in God's presence, have faith in God's person. Okay, having faith in God's presence is one thing. Just being aware that you need to be more focused on God as in your life with your giant and not just focus on your giant. What we're talking about here is a little bit of a nuance, and that is what is the presence of God specifically? And How we understand this passage is David goes through name after name after name of God. The names of God reveal his nature. The names of God reveal his heart. The names of God reveal his character. The names of God give us specific elements of confidence in our battles with our giants. For example, in verse 36... David says, this guy has defied the armies of the living God. David sees God as the living God, the God who's always had life in himself, the eternal God who never had a beginning, who will never have an end, the God who is the author of all life, the God who creates life, the God who grants life, the God who sustains life, the God who takes life, the God who is sovereign over the life of our giants. God brings giants into existence, and God can thrash the life out of our giants. Now, what's interesting in this passage? I'm going to give you a quiz. You ready? 1 Samuel 17, you know what the text is about. How many times is the name of the giant mentioned? You're going to be shocked at this. In the entire chapter, Goliath is mentioned only twice. Every other time the giants referred to, it's the Philistine. Goliath is only used twice. Every other time, it's the Philistine. The name of God, when David gets on the scene, he's used over and over and over. What's the principle? The principle is we don't focus on the name of our giants. We focus on the name of of the Lord. In verse 36 and also in verse 26, David calls God the living God. Uh, He's not a lifeless idol like the, the gods of the nations, but we put our hope in the living God. David is saying basically, if if we know the living God, shouldn't that be a difference maker in our battles with our giants? 
this living God, he's alive. He, he sees. He hears. He cares. He acts. By the way, he's also the living God because Jesus has been raised from the dead. We have a living hope, a living God. Our God's not dead. He's alive. Jesus is alive from the dead. <clears throat> and then David says, not only is he the living God who sees and hears and acts, he's the living God who fights for us. Look at verse 45. David says, I come to you in the name of the Lord of hosts. Notice, he didn't say, I come to you in all my creativity. I come to you looking for my strategic tactical advantage. By the way, this applies to every arena of life, folks. I'm not saying there's anything wrong with finding tactical and strategic advantages in business. But if that's your hope, even if you succeed, you failed. Because God won't be honored. God's honored when he's trusted. When we trust on our own resources more than God, God's not honored. We're not after a strategic tactical advantage as an end in itself. We still trust God. He is the Lord of hosts. Yahweh Sabaoth. The, the commander of the armies of heaven. That's a game changer. Basically the text says, I don't care how big your giant is. You're talking about the God of the armies of heaven. He is for you. <coughs> In Exodus 15.3, we're told that the Lord is a man of war. The Lord is a warrior. Have you ever thought about that? He's your warrior. I mean, nine foot nine is nothing. Talk about having a big brother that shows up. You've got the living God. And the text tells us in verse 47, the battle's the Lord's. I love Zechariah 4 verse 6. It's a it's, it's a keeper for anybody in any situation. Zechariah 4, 6. Not by might, nor by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord. <clears throat> Not by might or power, but by God's spirit. And then in verse 46, David says, there is a God in Israel. Another name for God. Elohim, used over 2,700 times in the Old Testament. It emphasizes God's power and might. That is the God who goes with you in your battles. And again, God says it's actually his battle. And then in verses 34 to 37, David calls God the Lord who delivers him. That word Lord is where we get Jehovah. The word that means I am. And all kinds of Hebrew names are added to Jehovah to give us the personhood of God. In my journal, I keep three by five cards of all the names of God. That I can look through them as I'm praying or as I'm struggling with a particular giant. Like Jehovah Jireh, the Lord who provides. Jehovah Nisi, the Lord our banner of victory. Jehovah Ra, the Lord our shepherd. 
Jehovah Rapha, the Lord who heals. Jehovah Shammah, the Lord who is there and always present. Jehovah Makedesh, the Lord who sanctifies me and makes me holy. And on and on and on. See, it's one thing to say God is present. It's another thing to know God's personally present. To help you in your specific battle with the giant. And he's with you in the very name you need to see him win the battles. Verse 47, it is the Lord who saves. Not us, not our skill, not our strategy. The Lord saves. By the way, that's Yeshua, Joshua, the God who led Joshua into the promised land is the God who saved Israel in the midst of the Canaanites, their giants. Verse 45, David says, You come to me with a sword and a spear and a javelin, but I come to you in the name of the Lord of hosts. When you face your giants, who are you focused on? The name of your giant or the name of the Lord? Have faith in God's presence, have faith in God's person, and lastly, have faith in God's purposes. Look at verse 46. <clears throat> the Lord will deliver you into my hand. Why? What's the purpose? That all the earth may know that there is a God in Israel. One of the things that gives us confidence in our battles with our giants is God not only loves us, God wants to reveal his name to the nations. We have our Global Missions Conference coming up next week. God longs to reveal His grace and His name to the nations. And one of the reasons God orchestrates Goliaths in our lives is so that He may show up on the scene of the stage of our lives on which we are just part-bit players so that on the stage before the world, the world might see that God is the hero of everybody's story. That God may be believed upon by the nations. That all the earth may know. Look at verse 47. That all this assembly may know. That word assembly is where we get the word congregation. See, God doesn't want to just macro act in the midst of our giants for the purpose of the nations seeing his name. God cares about his church. God wants the assembly to know that the Lord saves not by sword and spear and javelin, but by his own power. You see, God allows giants in our lives, orchestrates giants in our lives so that we as the people of God might be reminded as we walk with one another that God doesn't save by human resources. God sends giants for the purpose that we might be reminded that God must save and God alone. And so David prevailed over the Philistine with a sling and a stone, no sword. The passage is constantly emphasizing it wasn't David. David's not the point of the story. God is. 
And until we shift our paradigm of being man-centered, resource-centered, tactically-centered, strategically-centered, and please hear me, I'm not saying there's no places for those things. I'm saying that is not even what the passage is about. The passage doesn't have one thing to do about tactics. The passage doesn't have anything to do about strategy. You've got to read that into the text. The passage reveals that only God can save. Only His grace will deliver. And all we offer to the situation is our need and our brokenness and our weakness. I mean, everybody in the text hates David. Okay, Saul thinks he's a youngster that can't handle it. His own brother just thinks he's a little annoyance. Goliath thinks he's a pretty boy. The only thing we're told about David is related to his weaknesses. And then one other thing, pretty key. He believes the Lord's present. And he trusts the Lord's name and heart. And he knows the Lord's purposes. A week ago, actually a week and a half ago, February 8th, a Wednesday, Wilmore, Kentucky, there's just a regular chapel service at Asbury College. (laughs) The sermon was nothing special. Normal praise band, probably not a fractionally as good as our band. The message was over, the final song was played, time for everybody to go, and no one left. The students stayed. Some students just started singing spontaneously. Nobody orchestrated it. Some of them started praying. A few went forward and started confessing sin. Band thought they'd play another hymn. Then everybody would go. Twelve days later, you can't even get into Wilmore, Kentucky. Streets are packed. Cars are streaming in. It's a six and a half hour wait to get into the chapel. God showed up. People are hungry. They're confessing their sin. It spread to Samford, to Lee University. There's busloads of students coming from Purdue, from the University of Indiana, from other big schools. And you know what we want to do? Let's go figure out what they did. Let's look at the tactics. Let's manufacture this thing. Let's bring it here. Until we recognize that only God can save, revival will never come. And until we stop blaming everything else around us and start owning our sin in repentance, revival will never come. I, I bought some shaving cream yesterday 
to bring this morning, and I left it on our counter, and I was going to get the shaving cream, and I was going to go like this. And then I was going to say, revival begins when we put a circle around ourselves, and we say, God, nothing else in the world is the problem other than what is standing inside this circle. Not politicians, not culture, not LGBTQ and all the other things we talked about this morning. Not race, not COVID, not masks, not vaccinations. Nothing is ultimately the problem except for me and you. Draw the circle. And say, God, begin right here. Grant me repentance of self-reliance. Grant me repentance of self-sufficiency. Grant me repentance that's always looking for tactics and strategies to change my life. And help me realize that only you can save. Let's pray. Lord, we do pray that you would lead each one of us in repentance of our self-sufficiency. God, you have gifted our lives in so many ways. God, I rejoice at the skills and the gift packages that are before me right now. But, oh God, <laughs> Malcolm Gladwell's right here. What we think our advantages are, are often our deepest disadvantages. What we consider our strengths are often our most exposed weaknesses. And so God, may we return to you as our only Savior. Jesus as the new and better David who killed the giant of sin and death. And may we put our hope in him. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's all stand. Hear the benediction, the promise of God's love and favor upon our lives in Christ Jesus. And now may the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord turn his countenance upon you and be gracious to you. May the Lord turn his face towards you and give you his peace, both now and always. Amen.